from the Townsend Center for the Humanities at UC Berkeley. Welcome to Berkeley Book Chats. I'm Timothy Hampton, director of the Townsend Center for the Humanities. Book Chats showcase Berkeley faculty authors engaged in public conversation about their own recently completed books. This popular series highlights the richness of Berkeley's academic community. Today's conversation features Anne Walsh of the Department of Art Practice discussing her 2019 book, Hello, Leonora, Soy Anne Walsh. She is joined by Julia Bryan Wilson of the History of Art Department, whose work is also included in the book. Before I read, and that is my primary goal today is to do some reading from this book, I really wanna explain a little bit about what, what kind of book it is. Um, because it's, um, it's, pretty, it's pretty hybrid and hard to name what its genre is. And I, I think the closest thing that I can say, um, name that I can give to its genre would be to call it an, an autoethnography. Um, uh, that is, it is very much about me. Um, and it's about my um, process of um, engaging with and really living through someone else's book. Um, and in a second, I'm, I'm gonna show you that book and then we're gonna put this slideshow on just autoplay. Um, in around 2005, I read Leonore Carrington's novella, um, The Hearing Trumpet. Um, which was written maybe around 1950. It's not exactly known when it was written, but um, Carrington, who's much better known um, as a painter, was also a writer and um, wrote this novel at the age of maybe around 40, but it's, it's written in the voice of a 92-year-old lady who finds herself um, in a home for old ladies all of whom turn out to be pretty um, insubordinate and opinionated and um, live through global climate change and um, overthrow, the, uh, overthrow the managers who turn out to be pretty, um, who turn out to be kind of corrupt, kind of um, new age charlatans. And um, they create this, really impressive, inspiring, self-sufficient, feminist, underground community. And um, I read the book at about the age of maybe 43 or so, and felt like um, it, it offered me the, a model for um, the kind of um, insubordinate old lady that I had never imagined it might be possible to become. And, um, and it, and, it, and it really genuinely made me feel like, okay, bring it on. Like, I could, I could, I could do this. Um, and, and then my first thought was, like, I got to make a movie out of this book. And the thing is that I'm not really a narrative filmmaker. I come from a background making um, short form, um, highly staged um, video work and a certain amount of work with sound. Um, also actually um, trying to produce a certain kind of alternate art history. So there was that. But um, my ambition to make a movie out of The Hearing Trumpet was basically 
always going to be a failure, I think. Um, but I, I started off by um, writing cast lists. The very first thing I wanted was to like imagine who would be in my movie. And that, that, um, that led to many, many other things. But it's actually one of the most sustained pieces of this whole project is, is generating these fantasy casts for who will play the characters in this um, kind of queer, fabulous tale. Um, um, so back to the book. Um, you know, basically 10 years went by while I, um, while I cast the movie in my mind, while I um, wrote sort of partial scripts for it, while I um, traveled to Mexico City to meet Leonora Carrington and approached her about working on it with me. And that was not a success, but, um, but it was also, but it was still productive. Um, and I essentially um, lived that movie in my daily life, imagining, this, imagining the locations and the people that I ran into and the people in my life as, as characters in this book. So the book is, is a kind of, um, is a, I think of the book as, as, a, as actually a, a kind of um, multi-channel video installation. So I mean, it is a book. But I think the way it operates is, is a lot more like walking into a room where there are um, a whole lot of different versions of the same story being told, um, sometimes by um, videos that are fast cut, some that are very slow, some that are shot very close up with only a single character, some with uh, you know, a kind of confessional um, narration. There are, there are multiple voices and multiple times in this book, and um, it includes diaries, it includes um, research notes, it includes essays, um, one by Julia, one by um, the writer Dodie Bellamy, and the third by uh, the writer Claudia LaRocco. Um, it also includes um, my own letters to Leonora Carrington, which are kind of my form of essay, and um, a lot of photographs. Um, and lastly, the cast lists, which interrupt the book every 16 pages as a, as a laser cut um, object, actually, a kind of a physical object. So point being, um, the physical form of the book is, is, is quite, is quite consciously chaotic and obsessive, or is meant to reflect the kind of recursive, obsessive, returning to the idea of making this movie and writing letters to this figure, um, and also trying to live through the experience of um, uh, aging. So. The book, is, the book I'm writing about is a book about a bunch of old people, but I'm actually aging as I'm producing this text. So um, I'm going to read from a couple of the very beginning letters to Leonora Carrington, um, and then I'm going to read from the very 
back of the book, which is, a, is, an, is an imagined letter back from Leonora to me. Um, and, and then I'm going to ask Julia to read a little bit, Should we too. start the slideshow? Oh, yes, slideshow? we should start. Just to have the visual. We should start. Let's see. We're going to go over to document. Oops. Document. Thanks, Julia. Yeah. Oh, I know. Go to play. Okay. So this is page one. Well, it's not really. It's like page 30, but <laughs> it's really five seconds. Should I make it longer? I think I'm going to make it. Sorry. I can yeah. already feel, I feel distracted already by the changing. I'm going to leave them up for Ten seconds. All right. Okay. I'm going to make this so I don't have to see it either. Okay. Dear Leonora, hello. I want to begin with an apology. I surreptitiously filmed you when we were in Gabby's car driving home from the restaurant and the next day when we were in your kitchen and on another day when we were outside walking with Susan, I took quite a few photos. You look a little frail in those images, but also determined, concentrated on moving forward and staying steady. I don't remember whose idea it was to take a walk, but I imagine it felt like a necessary challenge, maybe a marker of vitality, but also a struggle. You're old. When we returned from one of these paseos, I photographed you ringing your own doorbell at Chihuahua 194. Where's your key? You were reaching up to press the button and your face and long body push into the doorframe. You're summoning Yolanda. I see that moment over and over again because I've kept that photo near me for the last eight years. You ringing the person inside your house to let you in. Yolanda, who knows you better even than Gabby and Pablo do because she is your daily and nightly attendant. She breathes the vapors of your work. She knows you as the mother of those men, and she probably knows where you hide the tequila and your expired passport. She knows what you really remember and really forget, what you hear and don't hear. She knows what wakes you from sleep and what you wear to bed. part of another, another letter to dear Leonora, and I'm gonna jump into it a little bit. Why are you still taunting me like a habit I'm trying to kick? The shame of it all, Anne, still? Last week, Dodie used the word attached to describe my feelings for you, and already five years ago, Winifred, my therapist, said it was supernatural. Susan Aberth said she had to use magic to get her book on you finished. Who will I be when I'm not typing L-E-O-N-O-R-A anymore? I've named hard drives, passwords, travel itineraries, logins, hypnotherapy session recordings, a whole decade, Leonora. How to finish. The word closure comes to mind, but its hygienic neatness pisses me off. It belies the clingy, sticky difficulty of letting go. Should this be a divorce? a graduation, an exorcism. Old age is a kind of finishing, Natalia once said in my studio. She was probably looking at some image I'd made of you, 
I wondered who finishes before they have to and what comes after finishing. So often during these years with you, I've fantasized about going back to school. But maybe I already was in school. The hearing trumpet has been, my has been the curriculum of my own terminal degree. I am appalled by my aging body more often than not, but I'm practicing being attracted to women my own age. The hearing trumpet adaptation is this, is me. It's living the book as an ardent fan. It's an erotic geriatric research project. <laughs> dear Leonora, my dear friend Catherine's long ago ex-girlfriend Nathalie died recently, and Catherine and Nathalie's lover Ren were at her bedside coaching her through the process. On t'aime, tu es belle. Tu es lumineuse. Tu peux partir, they repeated tenderly. But even with all the time they'd had to prepare during the long vigil, once Nat was actually dead, they found themselves Googling how long until rigor mortis sets in on a laptop next to her corpse. In order to close Nat's one remaining cancer-free eye, they weighed down the eyelid with a one euro coin. In the middle of the night, in the hills outside Marseille, the two almost crones needed to know how much time they had to wash Nat and still be able to get her dressed in her favorite queer t-shirt and jeans for the pine box burial at sea she wanted. It was Catherine and Wren up against the anatomical death clock and the homophobic family who would demand an open casket and a Catholic burial for Nat. It was totally HT. HT is the hearing trumpet, in case you haven't figured that out yet. Your kitchen table, mid-May 2008. I was 45. You were 92. I'd already introduced myself to you by letter, ingratiated myself to your San Francisco dealers, and drafted a script for my first phone conversation with you. Susan thought you'd see something of yourself in me, told me that you didn't like tardy women, so I should dress graciously and bring a gift, a British detective novel or Prince of Wales tea, and that you like to eat at Sanborn's. She called it the Mexican equivalent of Denny's, she said. So maybe I could take you to lunch there. I brought my exact change edition of the hearing trumpet to show you, to have you sign, and you surprised me by asking, did I write that? I wished I'd brought a copy to give you. Modest, modest innocence, coy subversion. You signed my copy in mirror handwriting. Were you flirting with me? The day before, we had been introduced at the restaurant Isote on Avenida Presidente Mazarique, a luncheon hosted by your dealer, Wendy Norris. I followed when you got up to smoke a cig outside. What do you think of watching people fornicate? You asked me in earshot of the parking valets. I was so starstruck, it didn't occur to me that you might not really care if I answered or what I said. I wish I'd said, have you ever seen anybody, have you ever seen anybody fornicating, Leonora? or asked if fornicating includes mixed-species couples. 
Or I could have used it as an excuse to bring up the hearing trumpet, in which case sex happens levitated in midair between horny monastics high on sniffing vials of the Magdalene's bodily fluids, in which case I might have said, I've really enjoyed imagining the sex in your book, but instead I said, watching porn you mean? <laughs> it's dumb and gross a lot of the time, but it has its uses. Sometimes I enjoy it. Well, you said, I can't imagine anything more boring than watching people fornicate. I think there's a good chance you were my height or even taller once upon a time. I have definitely tried to imagine the sex you had in your life, but I sense that animal bodies interested you far more than human ones. Isn't that what smoking's for, to make the body and all that it wants go the fuck away? Hi, Leonora. <laughs> She's calling. <laughs> I like that The Hearing Trumpet is not a hopeful book. There is no remedy for echocide. The collective hallucination that is government, angry father religions, and a population that cannot identify and stand up to the abuses of power are responsible for laying waste to the earth. Do you recall that what remains after your new ice age wipes out most human life is seven old ladies, a hybrid wolf-human family, a Chinaman, some goats, and mushroom spore? Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump to the very end of the book and read a little bit of this letter uh, from Leonora back to me. Um, Hello, Ann Walsh, soy Leonora Carrington. I am an artist and writer. I am a conjurer and traveler. Why do you think the British have a fetish for female sovereigns? Of course, such a dominator wants to be dominated, bien entendu. But here's the truth. A queen retains the trace of England's aboriginal female deity, the triple goddess, matriarch of earth, of which I also am an expression, though as a moth. Why else would I have that tatty postcard of Elizabeth II in my kitchen? Why else does, why else does that Walt Disney ice queen mesmerize four-year-olds the world over? You also live in her midst, Anne. Why else have you kept me near you for so long? And your beautiful daughter, she too is the goddess, as anarchy and pollination. The oceans also are her expression. Why else do you perpetually locate yourself on a coast? Why does humidity call to you so? Why do you collect cat whiskers? One day, you will know her in other forms too, maybe as the tattoo of a bee inked on your left forearm, as a gray cat who comes to live with you. Who knows? Pay attention. Don't be careless. Um, all right, one more paragraph. And there is such a thing as a superpower. It is a matter of sensitivities and intellect and how they combine. There is such a thing as a political mystic, a fornicating crone. You have already begun your training. 
the women on your cast lists. Indeed, one can live in two worlds simultaneously. I was and am one, a human, animal, spirit, superpower. Many of us are artists. Lucky for me, my formal education ended early. Yes, I could be mean, pitiless even, but I heap the harshest punishment upon myself, so do not imagine me unscathed. I coveted and lied and hated. I had breakdowns. Look at that letter in the Moderna Museum show to Renato Leduc. I am a desperate, voluptuous young woman. Max is recent, but not so long past. I am locked up in our apartment, waiting for Renato to come home, inhaling his linens, unable to sleep in our bed without him. Fornication indeed. By the way, you've left something out of that account of our first encounter in 2008, my dear. I will repeat what I said that day. Not that I have anything against fornication. I enjoyed it on many occasions. Um, I don't know why I ended up using that word fornication so much in this particular selection of text today. I did not plan it, but I will skip ahead to the very last bit of this letter. She says, you, my dear, you do need an audience, and that is quite as it should be. You deserve one. You are ready. Your transmissions are quite inseparable from your charisma. Look that word up. You will be surprised. Don't be careless. It's a gift. Je t'embrasse très fort. P.S. As you have gathered, I am no cineaste. I prefer my own dreams to the movies. But your treatment of the hearing trumpet, the, your treatment of the hearing trumpet is cinema by other means. Your adaptation deserves its own adaptation and its own cast list. So be it. See to it. Can I make a suggestion? Yes. Just that I not read okay. in the interest of time okay. and go into questions. Okay. Um, okay. And the first, well, the first thing I want to say um, is thank you for asking me to be uh, part oh. of the book, and thank you for asking me to be part of this event. You mentioned at the beginning um, that it's a hard text to categorize in terms of genre, and um, I thought this was going to be a question, but it's just going to be an observation, Great. which Love is that, that actually I think it um, can, could fit into the history of the epistolary novel, um, oh, okay. you know, from Clarissa to The Color Purple, et cetera, in, term, in that it is a fiction, in a way, conveyed as a series of documents. Um, you have your series of letters to Leonora, a letter back from her. My essay is actually a series of letters to you. Um, but you, it's all this obsessive um, post-it noting as well, which yes. become, that becomes a big way that you convey information. So that's kind of more of an, I was going to ask a question, but that's going to become an observation because I want to dive into a juicier thing, if that's okay with you. It's so okay. Okay. So I guess. Look, it's so juicy. It's so right juicy. There, right there. Well, one of the, the meaty, okay. I think one of the really meaty aspects of this for me as someone who, you know, I study, I'm a, 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 someone who thinks a lot about how conceptual art, legacies, post-conceptual legacies and how the image text relation. Um, and this, I think, feels quite distinctive in that it is also so much about an artist showing the messy and vulnerable parts of their process. What this book really is to me is not just about you know, an autoethnography of 10 years of thinking about a single thing, but you're laying bare like failures 
you know, dead ends, and you're making that, that becomes the project. So mm -hmm. I want mm -hmm. you to talk a little bit more about the mm -hmm. vulnerability there mm -hmm. and the idea of deciding not to, deciding to have the finished product really be about the process. Mm. That's a as a, as a feminist, as a, I think as a feminist um, initiative. Okay. Um, I love that you asked that question as these particular slides were showing because they were slide, actually here, here they are. I mean, uh, there, there were images of um, moments in my studio when I had, um, is it okay if I just look at her? And, okay. <laughs> um, you know, actually a lot of these are moments in the studio where I'm like test, testing out all sorts of things. Um, that's my desktop actually, which is like a photo of a photo of a photo of post-its and um, I, I guess um, I, you're right. I really appreciate, I really appreciate um, your description of the book as, you know, belonging to the tradition of the epistolary novel. Um, and I did, I did everything from, you know, the, the very form of the book asserts um, the idea the 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 feeling of the fragmentary and of um, of the test and um, and also of of the sort of my particular practice of accumulating and um, annotating a kind of relentless sort of annotating um, and returning to something and then annotating the very annotation um, and um, I mean, I want to claim that as a, I want to, I, I, I don't, ironically, I, even though it reads like it's an aesthetic, it is, and it is, I suppose, it is, it is also the only way that I think I really ever work, mm -hmm. um, which is to, um, to let the margins show. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, I think that I am drawn to the margins because we're, they're kind of where, um, they're where speculation is. Mm -hmm. They're where um, they're where the truth of um, of vulnerability is and fail and failure, as you said. The, the the things that are in the margins are are often also the things that are that reveal what the canon is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and the canon is, the canon is resolved. Mm -hmm. And the canon is, um, there's something heroic about um, a, a story that begins and ends. And I, I, stories aren't like that for me. And Well, it seems too that there's a, um, a mirroring or an interleaving of form and content in that the, the entire laying bare of your process, um, which to me feels extremely intimate and is very much about a kind of disclosure, um, is echoed in a lot of what you are disclosing, which is a nervousness about um, physical intimacy and vulnerability. So there's pictures of you you know, showing like a foot, fun is it foot fungus or some, I don't know what's going on, <laughs> some kind of, you know, there's a, there's a lot, lot of, of kind of, there's kind of like a, a physical grotesque that mm -hmm. you're interested in mm -hmm. sort of pressing on, mm -hmm. I think, mm -hmm. that to me feels um, 
interestingly motivated in terms of how what the how the form of this book you know mm -hmm. kind of came together because it is all these different layers of sort of um, risky disclosure I guess. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you um, write about in your text, and I don't think I actually included an image of it, but Julian noticed that um, in my studio there was a bunch of holes in the wall, really, really big holes that um, that I stuffed with like um, towels and sheets, and I was just trying to keep the like gross HVAC from coming into the studio, so I just shoved the shoved them all full, but they're kind of big holes. I fully thought that was a piece, you know? Yeah, that, well, so I was I, like, I, I, I love that piece. That piece is great, you know? The textile is erupting from the architecture, yeah, yeah. you know? Like. Well, then I started, <laughs> then I did start photographing them, because I was, I did start photographing, because I thought they, I did think they were amazing mm -hmm. myself, even though I didn't create the holes. But, um, you know, th those made it into the book, and they've made it into multiple exhibitions that I've had of of um, of the sort of meat of this book, um, because I think there um, there's something about um, I mean even the even the form of the even the form of the the cast list is a set of holes, you know they're 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 laser cut holes in paper and. Um, I guess I guess I think that um, yeah there is for me um, some relief even if it's grotesque there's some relief in um, looking at um, a wound mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I think um, you yeah. know as I um, intimated to me it feels like a feminist project um, because also it's about unveiling the labors of thinking about this, you know, of returning to this um, novel again and again, and um, your struggles with how to make those labors evident. But I want to, so at the same time that the book is very, is full of all this rawness and kind of glimpses of a private kind of working process, there's also a lot of opacity. And I want to Okay. you to talk about the tension there because there's quite a lot of tantalizing, you know, like even the screenshot of your desktop. Yeah. I can't, I would love to read everything that's on there, Yeah. but I can't, you know, no reader could. Um, oh, why? Because it's just printed too glass. small. Oh. I don't even okay. think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was just complaining about my, how I'm, since I turned 46, I can't see anywhere, but. Um, that's the correct timing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> But there is a lot that just isn't, I mean, there's, I guess it's the, one of the fictions is that we're really seeing everything, but of course we're not. You've made no, choices, no, yeah. you know, there is still yeah. a lot you, you're holding back, or yeah. there, is a, there is a play, I think, here between the disclosure and, and also, um, you know, a kind of private realm. And I just want you to say more about how that ramifies in terms of how you put this together and what we do have access to versus what we don't have access to. Mm. That is a really hard question. Um, I mean, in in like, I wish that the I wish that the easy answer I wish that the the go to answer could be well I edited a lot out, mm -hmm. right? I mean, duh, that's what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. That is what yeah, you're saying, right? Um, <laughs> But the reason why that's not, that's not actually um, a satisfactory answer is that 
probably even what I edited out was still, I think was probably more about redundancy than it was about mm -hmm. taking out some, some revelations. Um, mm -hmm. um, I guess I'm really curious to ask you, you know, what, what's opaque? Mm. What, I mean, I don't you, mean that's by no means a... I don't take know, it as a criticism. It's just that from my angle, uh -huh. I, I, um, some things are literally illegible, just in the, I mean, that's a, just an observation. You know, sometimes uh -huh. it's like, or a post-it note is on top of a post-it note. I mean, oh. it's, it's probably maybe a simpler observation than, oh. it, than it seems. I see. But it isn't, I, see. I mean, I think it's also, you know, female artists often, we, the um, kind of a trap in a way is like yeah. the idea that like you are tra a transparent figure oh. and your life and your work are oh. exa exactly overlapped. Oh, okay. You know, this idea of the identical space between your body and your art when men never have to, you know, shoulder that okay. burden. And okay. the truth is like, this is a very conscious effort okay. of molding and shaping and withholding. You okay. Know? Well, one of the ways that I- Like really with an, even with the, I don't even think with a magnifying glass you could get all this. <laughs> Which is great, you know? Like, we're uh -huh. not gonna have access uh -huh. to everything. Uh -huh. Well, actually, yeah. These are, a lot of these are things that are just sort of process images. Some, um, some of them are images in the book and some of them are process images from, from my studio. But I'm gonna try to answer your question like with, be, be really smart. Um, which, which I, um, I, I adopted a character in this book who's called the Apprentice Crone. And she's actually, in some ways, the author of a lot of a lot of the book. Um, and um, so, I, I guess I'm I'm just going to say that one of the things I thought about was was precisely the problem of not not wanting to be, you know, Anne Walsh. Soy Anne Walsh is the title of the of the book itself. I guess is meant to suggest a performance. Mm -hmm. And that I am, I am Anne Walsh, but there's also this Anne Walsh character, and the Anne Walsh character moves in and Anne Walsh moves in and out of being a character, being the author, being me, um, being you know being the person writing these lists, um, and being the editor, being the person who went and asked Julie, the person named Julie Brian Wilson, etc. So, I guess. Um, I can't, I, I, it's interesting, I don't feel like I, your question makes me wonder whether I have as much control as I thought I did mm -hmm. um, over you know, what feels opaque and what feels transparent. Um, well, I mean, the cast lists thematize that tension. They do. You know, yeah. so, and, and I do, yeah. I really would encourage people, and then I think we should open it up for questions. Okay. I encourage people to engage with the physical form of the book yeah. because it really is a beautiful object. And I want to also give a shout out to Jeff Kaplan at No Please. Place Press as a collaborator who did the graphic design. I mean, it's a really, really, really stunning, you know, tactile object. It is. I totally agree. And, and it's, it's that collaboration with the designer is a huge piece of its, of its, um, its soul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, also, I guess you can buy them, the closest place you can buy them is probably the Berkeley Art Museum store. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, in case you want to buy one. Um, so I think yeah, we're, we're, getting, we're getting the gesticulations to have um, 
Question Questions time. from the floor, if there are any. It's hard when you haven't read something to like ask questions about it. Sure, Claire. I have found your work fascinating uh, since I saw the ex exhibit in San Francisco. Uh, and this conversation, but I wasn't exactly sure why. Okay. <laughs> and this conversation is helping me. So what fascinated me was the way in which when I walked into that exhibit in San Francisco, there was a huge projection on the wall of a number of people over 65, I'd say, dancing and singing as part, at, and I was one of them. <laughs> and I saw, I saw my face enlarged and with, you know, on a huge wall, it seemed huge to me, with every imperfection I could imagine. Yeah. And I thought, I'm grotesque. I am grotesque. Everybody there looks grotesque. Uh, whereas in the actual classroom where the performance was being held, nobody looked grotesque and I didn't feel grotesque. Mm. So the, um, the expansion, the enlargement, which I see here too, um, and as uh, in order to show the vulnerable as grotesque, um, I find fascinating. So you said in talking just now, even if it's grotesque, um, you like the close-ups. But I would say not even if. Because. I would say especially because, and I would love to hear maybe some, you know, elaboration or meditation on why the fascination with the grotesque, what it, what its power is for you. Um, and in answering, I mean, in your saying something about that, you'll help me understand what its power is for me. <laughs> So. I think I just said it's a relief. I, I think the, the word I used was was looking at looking at wounds as a relief. You said relief. I did. I, I think I used the word relief, and and so I and I I mean I'm not sure I can account for that. That gets into some very deep personal psychology, I think. But I I. Um, you know, I find, I also find the growth, I find, well, there's so many big words here, you know, because I, I guess I find the imperfect a relief and comic. Like, I feel there's, there's some deep comedy in things that are, are broken or not working or um, flawed or ruined in a, accidental or even in purposeful way or, um, and, you know, I wasn't really, in, I mean, that is a hideous selfie. <laughs> it is hideous. So is that. I mean, I chose that precisely because it's just awful, you know. Um, I could, these two, I mean, they're just terrible. But that's also somehow, like, for me, um, really liberating. Yeah. I guess that's related to relief. It, and what it's a liberation from, I don't, I don't know. The tyranny of, um, the tyranny of um, some fantasy that anything is ever perfect, I guess. 
you know. Yeah. What I feel and what I'm delighted with is that you're the anti-Instagram. And by, <laughs> and by what I, that I mean is that um, you're making me extraordinarily comfortable with what is not perfect, what is not beautifully curated, what is not in completion. As a poet, I get over, overly involved in perfection. Mm. And this is a form of liberation as it was for you in the process of doing it, I assume. Though I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm pretty tortured. I don't know. I don't know how. Well, perhaps, but yeah. Maybe finishing maybe it was felt really great. Yeah. yeah maybe yeah. that's projection. Yeah, I think it might be a little point. But, but that was really what I was going to ask you, is at the end of this all, when you finish the book, if you can say, when you felt finished with it, what was that like for you? I tried to read that. I decided to read that one little excerpt where I say, what will I be when I'm not typing L-E-O-N-O-R-A anymore? Will it be like, you know, a funeral? Will it be like a graduation? Will it, you know, will that, will that be liberating? Um, it doesn't feel great. Um, I feel, I feel a little like I'm like in a fallow time creatively. I'm just gonna be totally honest. You know, I feel like I was really, really, I sort of, I knew what I was doing even though I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and um, so I feel, I feel, but on the other hand, I also feel like if I'm gonna really um, live by one of the premises that I think is, embedded in the book, and it, it is a spiritual notion that um, there is transmission from the dead to the living, um, which I really do believe. Um, I guess I'm, 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 I'm trying to um, trust that um, um, Leonore Carrington actually might help me figure out what is the next thing, you know? So I feel, I feel, I'll just be honest, I feel pretty anxious, um, you know? I feel really happy with this as an artwork, really happy with it, but it, 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 there, is a kind of, there is a kind of vacuum that I'm just like, I'm trying not to rush to fill it in, and yeah. You're welcome. Can I make a comment based, um, yeah. just uh, related to those thoughtful words, which is that as much as this book is um, very much in dialogue with and indebted to histories of conceptual art, it also is you know, about feminist surrealism and yes. surrealism as a practice that was a tremendous resource for female artists in the early part of the 20th century who were subject to all kinds of oppressions, not that those oppressions have lifted. Yeah. <laughs> we still very much live in patriarchy, but um, really I think for um, disobedient women, surrealism was a very, very profound vehicle for yeah. articulating a world otherwise. Yeah. And I think this project extends that legacy tremendously and beautifully. Oh, I'm, and I'm so glad yeah. to be in that. Gang. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do we have time for do we have time for one one more or two more if they're short or whatever? 
this this device says twelve fifty eight. Does that does that mean two minutes? Okay. I see Annika's hand. Oh, Annika's. Thank you. Um, my question is in part about that sense that the dead might speak forward or cyclically yeah. to the living. And I wondered if you'd say a little bit more about the fact slash not ending that Leonora Carrington passed away in 2011. Yeah. How does that track with the project? Uh -huh. And then there's an element of the beautifully printed and designed pages that are seem like almost appropriated mementos. In some of the images you were showing, there were snapshots. I think I saw at least once a person labeled me that wasn't oh, yeah. you. Yeah, and but so isn't there, me. Yeah. There, there's a component of these sort of displaced objects that seem to be doing a kind of work and, and speaking uh, through personas that are mm. not visibly present. And I wondered if mm. that was something that you were thinking about and whether how it shifts, again, with that 2011 timing of Leonora's ostensible death and then continued life in the project. Hmm. Well, I, I think I always felt like, you know, my female ancestors and maybe even some animal ancestors and maybe even some, you know, male-gendered ancestors were, um, I, I was... Um, hoping they were along for the ride and even partially fueling the, the car, you know. Um, I, you know, I, I definitely worked with photographs of my grandmothers in the room. There is, there is one that came up here where they're both wearing the same suit. It's like on a, yeah, um, film strip. So I, I think I've always worked with the idea that um, there were other people um, moving through me. And um, uh, when Leonora died, I felt relieved. <laughs> I felt relieved. Um, it, but, and it's interesting, I kind of thought like, oh wow, now I'm gonna really jam, you know? But I didn't. <laughs> you know, it was sort of like, it was also interesting, it made me, it made me realize like, her presence is her. Her presence is actually it is it is and it is not relevant, you know. So I don't know if that answers the question, but it it's, it it answers it in a way that's kind of both like I'm happy with it and I'm also really sad. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now I know we have to stop, yeah, right? Okay. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for coming. We hope you enjoyed this Berkeley Book Chat, and we encourage you to join us in person or via podcast for future programs in the series.